Good afternoon. It's Thursday, December the 15th. My name is Cleo O'Flynn and you're welcome to English Time. We're on air in English here on Radio Suradeki every Thursday from 1 to 1.30 and you can listen back to the programme on your online platforms or through the link that I'll post on the Adeche Town Hall Facebook page later. Today I'm going to be talking to the British Ambassador to Spain, Mr Hugh Elliott, about driving licences, voting and holiday stays and hearing from some different kind of ambassadors who walked for life last weekend. But first, a very quick roundup of some local news. Some good news for travellers as Zaina, Spain's airport company and unions representing airport workers reached a final agreement yesterday for the payment of productivity pay and bonuses. This pact means the cancellation of the strike action here in Spain that threatened thousands of travellers to Spain and the Canary Islands this Christmas. Music company Cherry Tree and Live Nation have confirmed that Sting will play in the Adeje Football Municipal Grounds on June the 3rd and the Plaza de la Musica in Gran Canary on June the 4th next year and tickets have just gone on sale. Adeje's Council of Department of Employment and uh, Economy has launched an experimental employment project offering culinary training to long-term unemployed young people. Participants will, upon completion of the programme, receive a professional certificate showing they can carry out basic kitchen operations, which should help them in finding a job. Adeje Council and FEPECO, the Provincial Construction Federation, held an event to encourage employment in the sector promoting construction as creating living spaces. The conference focused on two areas, incorporating young people and, in particular, women into the construction force. One of the revelations of the day was the fact that there is a generational issue in construction and there are not enough younger people coming through to join the workforce. And finally, last week's Walk for Life raised over 30,000 euros and saw 5,000 people form a huge pink wave joining Adeje and Arona. And we'll have more on that event later in the mu- in the programme. But first, just a little bit of music as we contact the ambassador. This is Stop the Cavalry from Jonah Louie. And this is an anti-war song. Hey, Mr. Churchill comes over here to say where do you spend it, Lee? But it's very cold out here in the snow, marching to and from the enemy. Oh, I say it's tough, I have had enough, can you stop the cavalry? Tell the 
but I'll all run for all presidencies. If I get elected, I'll stop. I will stop the cavalry. wish I was at home for Christmas. Well, I do wish to be at home for Christmas, but it's still a while away. In the meantime, I'm delighted to be joined on the phone by the UK Ambassador to Spain, Ambassador Hugh Elliott. Welcome back to English Time, Ambassador. Thank you very much, Cleo. Nice to be with you. And with you. Now, we're going to dive straight in. Uh, The issue that I think has been preoccupying a lot of people and causing you to make videos, bringing people up to speed throughout the year, is driving licences. Can you tell us what is the latest news on driving licences for British residents here in Spain? Yes, sure. This is, it has indeed been a, been a long process and it's been really tough for people who haven't been able to drive in the recent months. And uh, uh, it's, the whole process has taken much longer than we would have liked. So as I hope your listeners will know, the, the agreement itself is finalised. Um, so there's definitely going to be an agreement. Um, and what's happening at the moment is the final legal and political approvals are you know, well underway. Um, I'd say nearly finished, but I can't. I know what everyone wants to know is when exactly am I going to be allowed back on <laughs> the road. What date can I drive, Everybody yeah. is asking, what's the date? Um, and I can't give an exact date. But what I can say is there definitely is going to be an agreement. It's, it is genuinely very, very close to mm-hmm. finishing those processes. Um, and once it is, the approvals are through, then um, driving license holders will have will immediately be allowed to drive again on their british license and have six months to exchange um to exchange okay, so that, that's going to be that window yeah. of of time for people exactly i mean and, 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 I, and i'd say we are because the next question we are we're often asked is well is that going to be enough time and we're we're talking quite a lot to the spanish authorities about the detailed processes for that and as soon as we get the final approvals over the line, we'll be, we'll be making sure that we also put out comprehensive information about the process. I mean, I do think, if, if anything, the, the amount of time that you've been working on this shows the kind of work that is needed. And, and I'm assuming that the Spanish government has been uh, as available to you as they can be, but these things take time. They're not simple matters to just process in a day. That's, that, it, that's exactly right. They do take time. Often these things aren't particularly visible to people, but international agreements do take time. It's been visible on this occasion um, because the interim measures that were 
put in place to allow people to continue to drive um, on their British licenses expired. As your listeners will know, we asked the Spanish government to reintroduce them, and, and they didn't agree to that. So we just had to get on with okay. um, negotiating as quickly as we could. But yes, these things do sometimes take oh. time. Now, it has been a couple of tough years, I think, for all of us, and people are suffering the cost of living issues, both here, we know in the UK. Now, I recently did speak to David Perez, who's our tourism head, and he said British people are still prioritising holidays, that they still see this and prioritising holidays here in Spain and in the Canary Islands. Are you seeing that as well for next year, Ambassador? Yes, is the short answer. I mean, you can never be sure till these things happen because a lot of people may book at the last minute or change their minds at the last minute. Some of those habits have changed a little bit. But I talk to a lot of people in the tourism industry and the travel, uh, in the travel business, in the hospitality business, and all the signals at the moment are that actually the second half of 2022 has been a very, very positive year for Indeed. tourism, for British tourism. I think everybody was very keen to to be able to, after COVID, to, to get back out and, uh, and to travel again. And, uh, you know, Spain continues to be the number one holiday destination for Brits. So, the, yeah, I think the perspectives are pretty good. Okay. Are people still, though, somewhat confused, especially people who may have re- second residences here? Are they still confused or unwilling to kind of conform to the 90 in 100 day stay rule if they are non-Spanish residents? Well, I think people pretty much understand the rule by now. Um, and so I don't think there's a problem about people understanding it, but there's a, I'm very, much, very, very conscious that people feel very strongly, um, you know, those, those British nationals who have a second home in Spain and in, in Tenerife, for example, and, and have been used to spending long stretches of time in one go and enjoyed, where they enjoyed spending the winter, month, winter months mm-hmm. more than 90 days at a time. Um, but, but that 90 in 180 days is the rule. When we were negotiating um, the the Brexit deal, uh, we talked obviously about mobility arrangements um, with the European Commission, uh, and the Commission were adamant that the rules of the Schengen Border Code, which is 90 in 180 days for what they call third countries, so non-EU nationals, would apply. Okay. Um, and 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 that's the way it is now. It's up to the Spanish government to set its own long stay and visa policy, so potentially there could be flexibility there, but it's not something that we're actually negotiating on as a government. Okay. Um, but, but I would, the, the only thing I would add is that I, I know that parts of the Spanish administration are very conscious of the strength of feeling about this as well, and the impact it actually is having on the, um, on uh, the economy, on, I on, on, on the economy, exactly. So I, I, I mean, I relay the strength of feeling to the Spanish government, um, and I I know that, uh, that, that, that that's been something that, that has been discussed in the Spanish government, but I don't see any sign, unfortunately, of things changing soon. Okay, all right. Um, <clears throat> leaving that aside then, another big issue that is going to be important to people next year are the local elections in May. Now, can you confirm that British residents will be able to vote in the elections if they're on the census? And do, do people still wonder whether they have that right post-Brexit? Um, well, so... Let me just spell out the situation, because it is an important area, and there is a bit of confusion and concern here. Now, thanks to the agreement that we signed, the UK and Spain, in 2019, all British nationals who have been resident here for three years are entitled to vote in the in those elections, which are on the 28th, 28th of May next year, as you know. Mm-hmm. Now, um, 
but there are some, there's some things you have to do first. So you have to be registered on the Padron Municipal, where you live. So you, people need to check they are registered, and, and, and the registration needs to be renewed periodically. Indeed. So you need to make sure it's up to date. So first thing, be registered on the Padron Municipal. And secondly, confirm your registration on the electoral roll, the Censo Electoral, within the dates um, uh, set by the electoral authority. In this case, it is between the 1st of December and the 15th of January. So it is important. People have got till the 15th of January to make sure they are on the Censo. Okay. So from uh, during this time period, we are in the middle of the time where you Absolutely. can go and make sure you're on the censo. And the rules we're talking about apply to British residents, EU residents, as I am. We have separate, similar rules. Um, e- e- EU, resi- e- EU residents have different rules apply. And to the, the rules for British resi- residents um, are subject to a specific agreement that we signed, the UK signed with Spain okay. um, three years ago, which do provide, if you've been here for three years, then you are entitled to vote. But you do need to sort of you need to get organised to make sure you're on the Padron and then on the Censo Electoral. Well, hopefully anyone listening is on the Padron. We, we certainly talk about it enough. Uh, and, and get yourself on the Electoral Census because I know, for instance, people who've lived here for a long time maybe feel that they don't have a voice in their, their elections back in the UK if they've lived here for longer than 15 years. I know yeah. that's another area of contention. We can yeah. talk about a different day. But here you have a voice locally and local government is very important. So I'm, I'm glad you've clarified that for people, Ambassador. Um, I, I would clear, I would say, yes. I would encourage people to make sure they're on the Padron. Yeah? Yeah, because please. some people think, oh, it's fine, we're on the Padron, we've done it. But you do need to renew that, so you, you might do. that you might, that might have expired. And so if you get a letter and you don't understand what it says it's generally not not a kind of a, a fine of any sort pop up to the offices uh, and and double check exactly. to see what pop it's into, about pop into the ayuntamiento pop into the town hall exactly. yeah or send me a message on the english time facebook page and i'll explain it for you um ambassador coming to the end of the interview and thank you for finding the time to talk to us what what are your own hopes for spain and for british residents and tourists who visit us next year well i hope you have a fantastic time <laughs> I mean, I think I think after it's, it has, it has been a it has been a very difficult uh, few years in lots of ways with the, with the changing rules and regulations we've talked about with the pandemic, of course, and all the disruption that's caused families split apart, very very hard to travel. Indeed. it's been it's been tough. So um, my hopes are for people to have a great time, and and right now at this moment to have a fantastic Christmas. And we wish you very much the same to you and to your family, Ambassador. Have a very happy Christmas. A peaceful new year, we hope, and a prosperous one for Spain, for the UK, and for everyone involved. Thank you, Cleo. To you and your listeners, too. Thank you, Ambassador. That is Ambassador Hugh Hugh Elliott, who is the ambassador from the UK to Spain, joining us live from Madrid. And we'll have a short break, and we're back with Walk for Life Ambassadors. You're listening to English Time, Radio Sir Adeki, with Cleo O'Flynn. Now, last weekend, Think Pink Europe held their annual conference here in Costa Deji before the Walk for Life. And I caught up with the organisation president, Nella. I am with Nella, and Nella is the president of Think Pink Europe. Right. And we're here in Las Americas, uh, in Adeje, the day before the Walk for Life. Now, this interview will be going out afterwards. Is this your first time in Tenerife? Um, yes, yes, this is my first time, and I'm thrilled to be here. So you've been in conference all day with Think Pink Europe. Just explain to people who are not sure what Think Pink Europe is. Think Pink Europe is an umbrella organization for more than 30 countries across the Europe um, and the main thing that 
uh, keep us all together is Race for the Cure. In all the countries, we are organizing races for the cure. Plus, we are doing the mission program, the Closing the Gap program. Now, some, I think a lot of people know that Brigitte Chippen, our wonderful Brigitte Chippen, uh, is the kind of the rep, and her foundation represents Spain in Pink Pink Europe. And you tell me there's 30 countries. So, I'm curious, are breast cancer treatments very different in these 30 countries? Is there a lot that brings us together or is there a lot still to be fought for? Of course there's a lot of difference. You know, we are talking about Eastern European country, non-EU members country and EU members Western European country. So it's a huge difference between there is a gap in a, in a services and care for the breast cancer patients. So our aim is to, by exchanging experience, by the common activities, try to close that gap. Is there still, now Brigitte's just arriving, is there still a big issue about visibility, about in some countries people hiding breast cancer? Yes, definitely. That is the question of uh, mentality. In some countries, mentality is um, that way, that deep in the roof of the mentality of the society is that uh, illness is hiding, that uh, cancer is not mentioned. So, yes. Now, I tried to talk to Nella later on during the walk. I wasn't able to, but due to cancelled flights and bad weather, was able to catch up with the UK's Liz from the Think the, the Pink Ribbon Foundation. And I asked her for her impressions of the island and the event. Of course. Um, so, yeah, I was absolutely delighted to join everybody in Tenerife for this amazing walk for life um, as part of the Think Pink Family Europe. Um, and we were here representing the Pink Ribbon Foundation from the UK, as you quite rightly said, still stuck in Tenerife at the moment <laughs> with a 24-hour delay. Oh, no. um, because although the, we- the weather is wonderful here in Tenerife, but obviously in the UK we have a few inches of snow and everything has come to a standstill, unfortunately. Oh, no. um, it was an amazing experience. It was actually the first time that the uh, the British arm of Think Pink Europe was able to attend a conference and we met some absolutely amazing individuals that are doing fantastic work across Europe to raise awareness and money for breast cancer and to actually have the conference timed so that it coincided with Bridget's Walk for Life in Tenerife as well was a wonderful experience and one that I won't ever forget. Now, I mean, here in Tenerife, we've seen the Walk for Life grow and grow. And to us now, we just assume that there will be a few thousand walking every Christmas or December uh, in this, you know, which has become part of our annual calendar, this Walk for Life. Is there anything like this back in the UK, this, this, you know, thousands of people donning pink to walk down main streets for an hour and a half? You know, with walking challenges and running challenges, they're they're very popular in the UK and many charities in different sectors, be it mental health, um, children's charities, breast cancer charities, they find it's a really good way to raise awareness um, and money and obviously get huge groups of people together for a good cause. There are, in fact, already uh, races that happen in the UK. There's um, one that is heavily supported by a supermarket in the UK called Race for Life, um, which is 
you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people which take part in that when, when there aren't any COVID restrictions. And we also have another wonderful walk as well called Walk um, for um, sorry, the Moonwalk. Um, and the Moonwalk takes place in the evening um, throughout London, the streets of London, all the iconic um, tourist destinations and people walk together in their bras during the night. It's a marathon. Oh, that's amazing. Miles. Yeah, so we d- we are very familiar with that kind of way of raising awareness and raising money, and it's a it's very powerful it when you see that many people coming together um, with a common goal and a common aim. What I'm wondering, because I know that there were about thirty countries represented at the Think Pink conference, which was held the day before. So, I mean, the UK has some very visible events that are taking place. We have a Walk for Life, but I am led to believe that in some other European countries, the visibility of breast cancer, the open discussion about breast cancer, isn't as advanced as it might be. Would was that your experience? It's that that is totally true, but there are equally are parts of the UK and communities within the UK um, who still struggle. You know, Muslim communities, Black communities, where talking about breast cancer isn't the done thing, and women are being diagnosed as a result very late in the stages of, of breast cancer because within their community it's not something that they're aware of or seek advice and medical help for at an early stage when it would be. Um, easier to treat and have a better prognosis. So one of the jobs of our foundation in the UK, we work very similarly to Think Pink Europe in the fact that we are also an umbrella charity. And what we do is we raise money um, in the UK through our corporate partnerships and our events and fundraising. And then what we do is we invite other charities in the UK to apply to us for a grant. So we're not directly frontline service, but we fund and support charities in the UK who are frontline services and there definitely needs to be more communication um, within certain sectors of the community and I would say that that's the same within the UK or in parts of Europe. I know Brigitte's foundation uh, has worked really really hard to actually promote this the necessity of early detection and, um, you know, auto self breast examination, mammographs. And I presume that that is like, I mean, you've mentioned there are certain groups where it isn't talked about. So you won't have young women who think it is important when they're 20 or 30 or 40 to examine their own breasts and see if there are lumps that need to be checked out. But it's so that battle that's still t- needs to be fought. That's totally true. But, you know, it's in the UK still, even amongst, you know, the traditional white middle class um, community, it's still something that people don't do regularly enough. And there was a recent survey um, with another breast cancer charity in YouGov that actually found that almost half of women, it was 47% of women, don't check their breasts regularly. And that ranged for a, a whole range of different reasons, um, including the fact that they forget, that they're not sure that they're doing it right, and some, in fact, never check at all. So there is, you know, as much as the, the money is obviously vitally important to fundraise projects and support medical advances and things like that, the actual awareness itself is still very much in need, and I think that's in all parts of Europe. I mean, so it it is very true to say then that early detection very simply saves lives. 
Totally, totally. Because the earlier you're diagnosed, hopefully you catch it early. Um, and breast cancer itself, I mean, we have quotes on our website from very high-profile, successful doctors within the UK who say that breast cancer isn't the death sentence that it used to be mm-hmm. um, and that with early detection, you have a much better um, the, the treatment itself, it, it can be much better. You know, if you catch it early, you might not need chemotherapy, for instance, or surgery. So definitely the earlier you bet it, the better the, the treatment plans, but also the better the prognosis in terms of survival um, as well. So, yeah, awareness is definitely goes hand in hand with the fundraising. All right. I know you're you're in the airport. You're waiting for I'm a call. Airport, yeah. um, just <laughs> so I'm to, trying to find a very quiet corner. But no, you're doing well. family and things as well. It's fine, Liz. Listen, just one more question. You were here, there were 30 conference. Uh, is that unity between countries? I mean, let's get Brexit, put Brexit to one side because I think when it comes to something like breast cancer, people don't think about the the politics of politics. They think about the politics of medicine. So is that unity among countries? What What are the benefits of that to your organisations or what benefits you know, do you bring to well, others? We've, we've only... Li- We've only started working with Think Pink Europe about 18 months ago. So um, Jürgen contacted us during COVID and talked to us about Race for the Cure. But also the partnership and the money isn't just centred on the race. There are corporate partnerships that we get um, introduced to from Think Pink Europe where brands and companies who are already raising money throughout the Euro- Europe want to then um, get invited and, and work with the UK market. So there's different ways of raising an awareness and um, and money with Think Pink Europe. So it's not just the race, it's the corporate partnerships as well. But we had, because we hadn't been or attended one of their conferences previously, this was our first one that Jonathan and I attended. We didn't really have too much um, expectation. We didn't really know who was going to be here, what to expect, what the, the days were going to be like. But it's amazing how fast you make friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the charities themselves each had two representatives come and some of them talked. But even the ones that weren't directly involved with speaking at the conference, you had plenty of time to get together around the hotel and to talk about the common goals and what you were doing in your country that works. And I know that by talking and sharing ideas, ideas, we can definitely implement some of those things across the, the the communities and across the countries. There's definitely huge benefits in it. Um, I think we all came away learning something. It was it was vastly important and I think it's surprising, as I say, how quickly you make friends and friends I think for life as well that you might only see possibly once a year at a conference but you re- will remain in touch with many of them and continue to help and advise and share ideas and ask questions and um, and it was really good. I was very touched also to meet some representatives from Ukraine um, and it had taken them two days I believe to get to the conference and wow. it was such a joy to, to talk to them and, and hear about their work as well in such difficult circumstances and you quite rightly said that they're fighting two wars. They're fighting the war obviously within their lands but also the war on, on breast cancer as well. I did. Okay, Liz I will let you go and I'm hoping that by the time this interview (laughs) goes out you will have actually arrived home 
And she did. <laughs> she arrived home. Listen, as we as we go out with some music, the original Band-Aid 1984 version, a couple of things to remind you of. Tonight in the Plaza de España, there is a family show called Anastasia. Tomorrow, um, Friday the 16th, we have A Capella Christmas, and that's also, that's in the Adeje School of Music. Saturday, there is a gospel concert in the Plaza Mirador Cayo Sabaje with Zaza, and that promises to be something really amazing. And Tarzan is on in the Adeje School of Music on this Sunday. Now, next week, uh, it's the 22nd of December, so I'm just going to do a Christmas music program. If you have any particular requests, you can send them to me on the Adeje Town Hall Facebook page. I've spent a while looking for humorous Christmas songs, so we're going to move away from the slightly tradition and go with something a little bit funnier. But from from me, Cleo O'Flynn, for today, and from Gonzalo Lopez in the control room, and to all my guests, let's go out with a bit of Band-Aid. Uh, wishing you a happy Christmas, hoping you do know it's Christmas, and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>